This is The Water Table. A chance to hear the agricultural side of these issues. A place for people to go find information and education. Water management is just going to become even more critical into the future. How misunderstood what we do is. I would encourage people to open their minds and listen to this dialogue. Welcome back to the Water Table Podcast. Today I have Kent Rodelius back with me and uh, wanted to just talk a little bit. We're here at close to the end of 2022 and uh, we've had a lot that's happened like every year. Lots happened this year and uh, a lot of things we couldn't predict and couldn't see coming. But uh, there also is a lot of things that have happened that correlate to things that our industry and has been working on for a long time and, and ag industry in general. And Kent has, has been, from a Princo standpoint, involved in a lot of those uh, industry associations and involved for, for many years. And where are we going? You know, what kind of technologies can we use? What's, what's new out there to continue to improve what we do, both for um, production, agriculture, and for the environment? So, um, want to just talk a little bit on how the year of 2022 and what's on the horizon have kind of collided in some ways. And, and to me, it's, it's pretty exciting how you can see things that are happening and why what you're working on and your, your groups are working on is important. So, um, you know, when we look at 2022, we had, a, uh, really throughout the entire Midwest, but, uh, specifically up here in the upper Midwest, Really wet, cold spring. Um, didn't think we were going to get anything planted. Got really frustrating for farmers, um, for people that are installers of of water management systems, and for those of us that make pipe. But uh, but then when it turned around the first of June, crops got in really late. Um, then it it was incredibly nice. Um, no, not much for moisture. We did get very timely moisture, so push the crop into being, for the most part, um, if you listen to some of the podcasts earlier on crop reports, a really good crop, not the best ever, but a really good crop. And, you know, pushed it to where we we harvested on time and even in some cases a little bit early because of the, the growing days, growing day units um, was amazing. But within all of that, that I just said, you know, there was there's periods of, of prolonged dry spells. Um, there were some heavy, heavy rains. Um, especially early on in that. And uh, and that's all stuff that farmers have to manage. And we really have to manage our industry and have some of the keys to that with, uh, with products like uh, water management systems and some of the things that go along with that, um, such as control structures and things. So just talk to me a little bit about, about what's probably start with what's happening, Kent, you know, at the agricultural drainage water management coalition level, which you guys are working on. And, uh, and a lot of it relates, like I said, to 2022. Thanks, Jamie. It really is remarkable when you think what happened this year. I've been doing this for a lot of years. And every year, if you could, do you think you're going to write out the script of how things are going to go and what would be perfect? But you don't, uh, you don't have that ability, thank goodness, because we'd really screw it up. But, uh, it, it really, if you took a, if you told a farmer, here's what the year is going to look like this year, you're not going to be able to get into the field. It's going to be a rush to plant. We're going to get some really, really heavy rains. 
and then you're not going to have any more than an inch in August or September. Um, you couldn't you couldn't think that we could possibly get the kind of crop that we did, but it's just kudos to farmers and the way they work and how they understand things, and it has to do with technology of seed and fertilizer, and uh, for a great percentage of it, it's it's the risk mitigation of of having your water table managed, and that's really really come to the forefront of a lot of farmers thinking is that until I manage the water on my farm, I'm not going to be able to fully utilize whatever my corn index is or whatever whatever I'm, uh, I'm planting and growing. So it, there are uh, some really significant things going on. Um, Jamie mentioned the Agricultural Water Drainage Management Coalition. That's a group of industry people that come together and work on issues that are facing, common issues we're facing, and then we're also partnered with the Conservation Drainage Network, which is researchers from most of the land-grant universities. So we're, we've got a lot of uh, research going on, and we've got a lot of studies going on. And together, those two organizations are trying to bring that information together and develop practices that are very conservation and ex- economic, economically sound. Some of those things that we're doing uh, are even more easily adapted than others. In the upper Midwest, they say there's 30 million acres that could be benefit of some kind of drainage water management, whether that's controlled drainage on a, on a whole field or a, a bioreactor, a mitigating bioreactor or denitrifying wetland or a uh, saturated buffer. There's just all kinds of things and practices that we could talk about to reduce nitrogen and phosphate into the water all kinds of things you can talk about and a lot of it that we're going to have to talk about um you know one of the things that's really in the last five years has boiled up as being a a topic that just seems to be almost an everyday topic is is that of cover crops and in carbon sequestration and how you know carbon sequestration is going to be is a is a important and it's going to be a challenge to do nationally probably a little bit easier to do some of that in agriculture if we change our agricultural practices. Um, and a lot of that has to do with cover crops. Um, and, you know, this year was interesting because um, I think I think we're going to in a place up here in the upper Midwest where we have to learn for a while and understand, um, you know, many, many times it by the time the crop gets out, it's not really enough time to grow a cover crop before you're you have a frost or freezing. This year might maybe that could have gotten going. Um, but again, this year we had a, a different issue that cover crops probably would have helped with, and that is um, it was really really dry and uh, just holding that soil together. Um, we had a lot of very windy days in uh, late October, early November, and and uh, we saw a lot of soil erosion and pollution, uh, air pollution, just due to to that soil leaving because of really strong winds. And, um, you know, talk to me just a little bit about what you know about, you know, how, how we're addressing the whole issue of um, cover crops and drainage together. I think it was Jeff Strzok from the University of Minnesota, uh, the research center down in Lamberton, I think he said uh, one time I heard him say that uh, there's no silver bullet to correct all these problems, but there's some silver buckshot. And that's kind of what these practices are. There's uh, there's quite a variance 
of what we can do to the landscape to try and mitigate some of the problems we're having. Soil health has really come to the forefront, and part of that soil health component is cover crops. And in this area, that's been a real challenge to get those crops planted timely after harvest. A lot of times it gets pretty late for us. You get south a little bit, it's easier to use crop uh, cover crops, and, and they make a lot of sense. The whole soil health on your farm is really a, a concern that guys are addressing pretty, pretty quickly. And it has to do with drainage. It has to do with controlling your water. It has to do with cover crops and yeah. you know having more. Yeah, just more tools in the box. And it's easy to talk about cover crops being the total answer, but that just isn't the case. Um, It would be nice if that was the case, but it's not. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, the other thing that I've, uh, um, you know, wanted to share, because the cover crop thing is a little bit on the newer side and people are wondering, well, how is this going to work? And and I, I actually get a lot of questions about it more from the general public than I do obviously from farmers, they know more about it than I do, but, um, but is, you know, we need to do this. And, um, a lot of times these questions that that I get and I talk to people are people that aren't necessarily gung ho about, about water management. And I kindly remind them every time around cover crops are going to mean you're going to need a intensely drained farm in order for them to work, especially in the upper Midwest where, um, we don't get a lot of good farmable days in the spring um, that aren't too wet, too cold, those kind of things. And so we need to have that ground if it's not black because it's not been tilled. Um, there's cover crops on it. We need to have that ground be able to dry out so that we can get it planted for the next year. So, you know, there's going to be a significant correlation between cover crops and uh, and a pattern tile drainage system. There's such such a uh, upkick in keeping your soil on your ground if you don't, uh, if you're a no-tiller, where you can keep that trash and uh, keep keep the field that's from being completely black, you're not going to get the erosion. And all of us have driven around and seen ditches in the winter that are just turned black. The snow is turned black and covered with, uh, with soil. And that's uh, the farmer's greatest resource, and he needs to protect as much of that as he can. And, and cover crops and no-tiller are going to be helpful with that. But again, they're they're not the end-all, be-all, but they're an important practice. So we've seen it all this year, I think, um, from the standpoint of kind of every side of, of the equation of seasonality and weather um, from, like we said, really cold, um, wet spring, but then dry and hot um, and uh, timely rains, which, you know, um, I'm not sure. <clears throat> I've been around a while now, but I'm not sure I've seen a year in the up like the upper Midwest where we had that timely a rain where if we didn't get that one rain, I think things could have been drastically different to the negative from a yield standpoint. And yet uh, that crop held on a lot longer than what I thought. So that technology, you know, the drought resistance, um, um, chemical, you know, all of those technologies have come so far and, and is exciting to see, but uh, you, you've been involved in, you know, a lot more on the, the Ag Drainage Management Coalition in regards to um, what they're promoting now. And just talk a little bit about that and where you see things um, developing the next year around uh, drainage water management. And, and I think there's maybe some things on uh, denitrification of wetlands, stuff like that, that you're working on. You know, there's just a ton of stuff going on. It's really important to recognize how closely the ADMC 
and the Conservation Drainage Network, which is most of the research work, researchers work together. Over the years, there's been so much research done, and it's not really been applicable to, uh, for the common man like myself to understand. So we're, we're working hard to get it reduced to the point where we can understand what's going on in layman's language. And there's a ton of funding. Um, it's just continues to come out. I think uh, Iowa has like $100 million set aside for ag clean water. Uh, Governor Reynolds did that. Um, and in Minnesota, we've had a program for a couple of years where there's been $500 million set aside for clean water. And that's been facilitated through the uh, NRCS. And it's, that money has been literally untouched. Um, there's been very, very few of those practices adopted. Um, we have such good tools in the box now, and they really need to be considered more closely by farmers. But it's kind of a combination where the, the drainage contract, contractor has a ton of work. The farmer has a lot going on. They go to the NRCS office and they meet and ask what I can do. The NRCS offices are largely understaffed. They've got a lot of things to do. Um, and so it just gets frustrating because the farmer can't wait. If he's got to tile a field and he can't get a plan and get the funding and get understanding where he's going to be on this project and what we're doing, they just can't stand to wait. A lot of the guys have been waiting a couple of years to get their drainage done. And it's just such an important part of what they do that they have to get their water table managed. And when they have an opportunity to get the contractor to come, he comes. And it's, again, it's a new wrinkle for a lot of contractors. We're starting to get a lot more interest from contractors. Uh, the, AD, <clears throat> the ADMC just did some um, training, a couple of different training systems. We had about 180 people go through that training a lot of them were contractors. A lot of them were from the NRCS, quite a few farmers. And through that, you could become certified in egg drainage management uh, layout. You couldn't completely design it. Most of it takes a, a uh, engineer to sign off on. It's not like the old uh, technical service provider. So sure. it, it's, it's, it's just too complicated and layered. And so there's a lot of frustration. But we have, like I said, such good practices um, there are so many exciting things. And if you think about drainage water management, um, and say you have a fairly flat laying field and you want to store some water, if you put a control structure at the end of that, uh, of that system and you, uh, you, that control structure allows you to put boards in it and, and keep the level of water on your field um, and managing that, the best thing about those systems is, is you, can you can hold water back when you need it. A typical drainage cycle with controlled drainage would be when you're done harvesting, you would put the boards back in and you'd store as much water as you wanted on that field, what your desired level of that is. Then when you're getting ready to plant in the, in the spring, a couple of weeks before, you take those boards out and reduce the water down to where you want it, not emptying out the field. Then you plant your crop, and you, uh, you, when you plant your crop, you want those roots to go down, so you want that water table down a ways, and so they can have to put strong, firm roots into the system. That's one of the key elements of uh, managing a system. And then in the summer, if you're needing rain, if you're needing water, if you've stored some water, you can release that to your, to your field. And then if you, uh, if you get a timely rain, you can just let it manage itself. One of the things that's really becoming uh, useful is that we've got some automation now, so a farmer doesn't have to physically go out and do it. 
but he can do it from, through technology at home on the computer on his cell phone. So um, the, uh, the economics of having the water at the right time on the right field is really, really immense. Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting around the, uh, the technology side as I think I think there's a lot of general public that that know a little bit about farming, but I think the you know there's a lot of things they don't know too. But the one of the drastic things, if you are a long ways away from agriculture in America, um, is is the technology increases. You know, and, and it's everything. It's from um, you know seed. It's from uh, the drainage side and what we've done. It's it's all of the technologies and equipment and uh it's just mind-boggling to know and i think that's part of you know starting this podcast today and and the type of year we had there's just it'd be very very difficult to believe that um a year could end for for the vast majority of farmers in the midwest very successfully 25 years ago when you think of you know, our equipment changes and how fast they had to get the crop in because it was a tough spring and there wasn't very many workable days. And then the the, the seed technology and the drought resistance and all of the things that have, have, have developed there. And then, you know, our drainage technology and water management technology and how that has played a role this year. Every step of the way throughout the year feels like if uh, technology wouldn't have come as far as it did, we would have had stumbles and struggles so um fun to fun to mention that because i think most people have no idea how far um agriculture has come when it comes to driving technology into into what we do in ag i just recently listened to a, a webinar with uh john McMain from south dakota university talking about uh crop insurance and uh what the top claims are in 2017 18 and 19 it was either drought or too much water so that that was the things that the farmers were were uh, looking to to solve, and that's exactly what we can do with this technology. Um, there's been so much prevent plant in the Upper Midwest that's extremely expensive to this country. Um, millions of acres um, across the Upper Midwest that a farmer can't plant, so uh, they can take the prevent plant program and get uh, partial income on that land when uh, when you can't farm it. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Um, you know, even states like Iowa have had some in the last ten years. But uh, as you go north and into the the Dakotas and in western Minnesota, you know, I know back you know ten years ago or eleven now in two thousand eleven, there was over seven million acres of prevent planting those, and just in that geographic area. And then I think North Dakota in thirteen had almost three million more, um, and then. Uh, Back in 2019, North Dakota had a, or excuse me, 2018 in the fall, North Dakota had a really big snowstorm in, I think it was October 10. That snowstorm affected them to, to where they didn't get a bunch of the crop out that year. And then, uh, and then there was a bunch of prevent plant again in 19 because of it. So, um, sometimes that stuff is going to happen like that snowstorm, but, think the rule is good to have it in there but there's so many ways especially with proper water management that we could drastically reduce that number um, and work together where the government would i think they should fund farmers to do more water management so that they don't have to pay um, out on the the prevent plant claims so there's a study done in iowa since 1950 from 1950 to 2010 
And with soybeans, too much moisture caused a 27% loss of crop and uh, in soybeans and in drought caused 40% caused 40 drop. And in uh, on corn, it was about 27% and 28% for, for drought or too much water. So obviously, it's a, <clears throat> it's a huge problem on the farm. To, to, to manage the water and have enough on hand when you want it. It's, it's by far their biggest risk, I think. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's a good uh, kind of rundown, Kent. Thanks for joining me today. Just a little bit of a, I don't know if we want to call this a year in review, but just talk about, you know, where we were and how we managed through that. And um, I think everybody's pretty grateful for, for the type of year that uh, we ended up having in, in our side of agriculture. So, Fun to visit about about a little bit of the past and then where it's heading in the future with uh, a lot of the things you're working on. Grateful that you're involved in that. Thank you for that, and thank you for what you're you're doing to help uh, move the industry forward. I'm really excited for the position that the ADMC finds itself in right now. The ADMC is a strong voice in agriculture right now, and there's a lot of people coming to us looking for help. I would just like to reference. Uh, a study in Iowa, not a study, a project in Iowa where Polk County Watershed came to us and said, would you manage it if we provided the funds to go to Polk, go to Polk County, which is right around Des Moines, and go through the watershed and see where are the most critical spots to put a bioreactor or a saturated buffer. Um, last, in 2021, we installed 50, 50 of those uh projects along that watershed. And this year we did another 50. Story County, which is the next county, came and said, will you guys manage this for us? And so we were able to, they did They did actually did about 20 or I've got 20 designed. So it's no cost to the farmer. It's, it's cleaning up the watershed. It's, it's showing people what will be done. That's attracting a ton of attention. We've got we call them batch and build because you can you can get a contractor to come in and be interested in taking on a project where there's many saturated buffers or many projects to be done, not just mobilize and come and do one, but he's actually economically able to perform those, uh, to build those systems out. And that's, that's just like it's a prairie fire spreading. Minnesota is looking at some now. Um, Ohio, there's a lot going on out in the Chesapeake area. A lot of uh, large corporations are coming. A lot of the large environmental groups are coming and asking for our help. Um, Keegan Cult, who you did a podcast with recently, uh, who is our executive director for DMC, has uh, really done a wonderful job and been a great asset for us. So there's really exciting things coming, and we do have a lot of answers to a lot of this. And I think we're going to just have to find a way to work together better. Yeah, for sure. And it's exciting. I'm glad you bring that up because uh, I think what we're going to see is, you know, five years from now, things are going to look quite a bit different. You know, I mean, there's still going to be a lot of uh, of the same and, and uh, traditional or conventional drainage projects but uh but we've been talking about this stuff for many many years probably more than 15 years and to see it now starting and when it starts it'll go fast and uh so it'll be fun to to come back and talk about this stuff periodically and see where what's changed what's changed that amount of time and especially when we see um that we're getting more production in production agriculture and we're getting uh better waterways cleaner waterways at, at, at the same time and less uh nitrate going out of uh a field because we have denitrification wetlands and things those are things that our industry has done and we should be 
dang proud of it rather than always uh, be the one that uh, has to scramble and answer questions. Um, let's tell our story and the good stories, too. That reminds me, Jamie, about denitrifying wetlands. Um, they've been working on that a ton in Iowa over the years, and they've kind of been the leaders down there. And Dr. Mike Castellano did a uh, study down there on denitrifying wetlands, and he just uh, recently did a podcast that you could find that talks about the economic value and the conservation value of, uh, of putting these systems in. And he, uh, he said on that some, something roughly close to this, that if you would take 5% of the watershed out of production and build denitrifying wetlands, you could reduce 75% of the nitrates coming out of the soil. Well, that's huge. And there's a huge gain for the, uh, for the sportsmen's, you know, the environment. Uh, there is great, you know, you can build a really excellent, excellent wetland now. That technology is out there and they've been doing that. But there's uh, win-win situations like that all across the landscape. And uh, there, these are exciting times. And the challenges aren't going to go away, but uh, we really are fast approaching things that are taking uh, taking the second guessing out of uh, fixing some of these problems. Yep, for sure. For sure. Well, thanks for joining us, Kent, and uh, for all you do. Like I said earlier, um, there's there's a pretty small group of people in our industry that are driving a lot of this um, at that policy level and at... Uh, at the research level um and you're part of that and we're just grateful for all of you so thanks for all you're doing and uh let's keep in touch keep uh you know this dialogue going periodically for our listeners sounds good jamie thank you Thanks for joining us today on The Water Table. You can find us at watertable.ag. Find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. And you can also find the podcast on any of your favorite podcast platforms.